Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. In the 1850s, there was a gold rush in Colorado. And this guy went out there, and uh, like, like a lot of people, he caught the gold, fe- the gold fever. And he, he wanted to go strike it rich. He, he bought a, a shovel and a pick and went out there and just started digging. He, he got this plot of land that he was able to, to try to work on, and he was just looking for gold anywhere. And unlike a lot of people, he actually found some. He got real excited and covered it up so that nobody else would see it, and he went home to go raise money from his, his family and his friends to, to try to get enough equipment to get out there and start mining this gold. He does that, and he comes back, and he brings his nephew with him, and they, they work, and they work, and they work, and weeks later, they have the richest mine in all of Colorado. And a couple months go by, and they're, they're, still, they're still bringing gold out, still bringing it, still bringing it, and they're really close to being able to pay off all their debts. All that money that they raised to pay for their equipment, they pay it off, and then it goes dry. And they, they keep digging over here and then over here, and they can't find anything. And they get to the point where they just, they're just done. I, I don't want to have anything to do with this. The, the vein of gold has just completely disappeared. And we're going to just go crazy if we keep trying to, to find more gold out here. So they go find a junk man, and they sell all their equipment to him, and they sell him the land. He pays pennies for it. That junk man goes and fire, hires an engineer who studies gold veins and stuff like that to come and survey the land. You'll never guess what this guy found. The Darbys, who originally bought this land, started this mine, struck it rich. They were three feet. Three feet away from gold. And there was more gold left than they had mined previously. Three feet. It's, they were from their waist to their feet away from gold. Three feet. I tell you this because I believe that you and I are three feet away from gold in our lives. We are three feet away from God doing the incredible in our lives. 2021 is going to be a great year if we can make it three feet. Let's open our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 9. Not Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. God is about to do something amazing. You know, it feels like Satan has just had his way over the last year. 
He's shown a lot of weaknesses in our society. He's caused a lot of chaos. Caused a lot of panic. But God's not done. He's not even close to being through. So let's look in Matthew chapter, I mean Mark chapter 9 and see what what God wants to do in our lives and how we can get that three feet. If you would, please stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this together. Father, as we open your word, please open our eyes so that we can see your truth. Please open our ears so we can hear it. God, please open our minds so that we can understand. And Father, most importantly, please open our hearts so we can accept your truth and allow it to change our lives. God, we desperately want you to speak to us today. Because unless you speak, we're we're wasting our time. I ask these things in our Savior, Jesus Christ's name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew, why do I keep saying Matthew? Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, it says this. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and experts in the law arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran out at once to greet him. He asked, what are you arguing about? A member of the crowd said to him, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able to do so. He answered them, you unbelieving generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I endure you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He's, and he said, this has been happening from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. It shrieked and threw him into terrible convulsions and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that they said he is dead. But Jesus gently took him by his hand and raised him to his feet, and he stood up. Then after he went into the house, his disciples 
asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? He told them this kind can only come out by prayer. You may be seated. I love and hate this story. I love what Jesus is able to do. I hate what the the father in this story had to deal with. I mean, I don't even like it when Josiah trips and skins his knee. Uh, his father, he's having to watch his son go through so much pain. I mean, I, I can just feel the, the father's pain in this story. He wants, he wants his son to be better. He, he wants this to stop for his son. He's tired of his son having to deal with this, and he hears that Jesus is there. So he brings his son to Jesus, and he asks the disciples to cast this demon out. But they can't do it. I mean, I just imagine the father was really, really frustrated at this point. How can I help my son? I thought that they could, they could help him. You know, it's, it's painful watching what's going on in our world right now, too. It's painful turning on the news and seeing all the hopelessness. It's painful walking through our communities and seeing people who don't believe. And they feel like it's the end of the world right now. This virus is coming all over the place. We've had riots over the past year. We have an election that nobody really knows what to think about. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're from. I mean, chaos is just all over the place in our, in our world right now, in our country. And we look around and we see pain. We see the pain our world is in and we want to fix it. You know, in a lot of ways we're like this father. We want to just bring our world to Jesus and get it fixed. I love the compassion Jesus shows the Father. In verse 22, the Father asks Jesus to have compassion on us and help us. Jesus was this man's only hope. He had no other options. You know, following this analogy, Jesus is our world's only hope. We want 
Jesus to have compassion on our world. The only way our world is going to get fixed is if Jesus infiltrates every heart. No medicine is going to fix everything. No political party is going to fix everything. No army is going to fix everything. Only God can fix it. He is our only hope for this dying world that Satan's trying to rip apart. Satan's trying to take this chaos and distract us. He's trying to cloud our eyes so that we stop sharing the gospel. He's trying to sh- to to distract non-believers so that they can't hear the gospel. He wants to stop what God's about to do. But God is about to do something great. I guarantee it. I love reading verse 23. The Father has just said to Jesus, if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I can almost feel the confusion in what Jesus says. I can almost feel his frustration. He says, if you are able. It's almost like Jesus is saying, if you didn't think I was able, then why are you here? If you didn't think that I could fix this, then why did you bring your son to me? Are you just taking a shot in the dark, hoping that that maybe this might work? Of course I'm able. I would have been so upset if I was Jesus. I I would be so mad. Jesus is God. Of course he can fix this. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible not because of the belief itself, but because of the one who we believe in. If God created this world, He can fix it. If God carefully knit every single human being together in their mother's womb, then He can fix any person. There is nothing beyond God's fixability. God can fix absolutely any situation. It doesn't matter how sick a person is, God can still heal. I mean, we've seen people, we've heard stories of people who were dead that God brought back from the dead. That's pretty sick. 
God can do absolutely anything. We've heard stories of of His people being trapped against a sea. No hope. Army charging. And all of a sudden, a wind comes. Makes an alley through the sea. Completely dries the ground. They don't even have to walk in the mud. We've heard of, of God using a, a small child to kill a giant. We've heard of God shutting the mouths of lions. And Daniel stayed in the lion's den all night long. And he didn't even get a scratch. We've heard stories of guys walking into a raging fire that was so hot that it killed the people who threw them into the fire. But they came out and they didn't even smell like smoke. Go ahead, try to tell me that my God can't fix anything. My God can do anything, absolutely anything. Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and then He got put on a cross and died a, sin, died a death He didn't deserve for a sin that He didn't commit. And then rose three days later. The tomb is still empty. Jesus conquered sin. My God can do anything. So Jesus says, if I am, if you are able, all things are possible for the one who believes. God has the power to make all things right. And we look forward to Jesus' return knowing that He will someday. Verse 24, I really feel like that's where we live a lot. The father of the boy cried out and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. Have you been there lately? Have you looked at at whatever your situation is? Have you looked at whatever was frustrating you, knowing that God can fix it, but not truly believing that He will? Have you looked at your situation and just hoped that God could fix it? And then you come to the point where you're thinking, what what am I doing? God, I want to believe. Help me believe. When you drive to Ruston, not Ruston, when you drive to Lufkin, do you hope to get there? Do you hope that you'll be able to make that short drive? When you go to sit down to eat, 
do you hope that food is not going to make you sick? When you came in this room and you sat down in that chair, did you hope that chair would hold you up? When you drive to Lufkin, you expect to get there. When you eat food, you expect it to not make you sick. When you came in this room and you sat down in that chair, you expected that chair to hold you up. It would have shocked you if that chair didn't hold you up. You put your full weight on that chair. So if that's true, then why do we just hope that God will provide for us? Why do we just hope that God will mend relationships? Why do we just hope that God will give us a better job? Why do we hope that God will make the sick well? Why do we hope that God will change the heart of our unbelieving family or friends? We don't need to be hoping for those things. We need to be expecting those things. Y'all, I'm telling you, we are three feet away from gold. And all we have to do is start expecting God to do great things in our lives. Expect instead of hope. There's a big difference. When we expect God to do good things, we will see them. If If we're stuck at that hope stage, we may miss it. God is not going to force himself on you. We have to open the door and ask him to come in. If God was going to force himself on us, then back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve wouldn't even have the opportunity to reach up and grab that fruit off of the tree. God wouldn't have even put that tree in the garden. God wants us to have that choice. God wants us to love Him. But He's not going to force us to love Him because you can't force anyone to love someone else. It just doesn't happen. If we want God to do amazing things in our lives, we have to open up the door and let Him do the amazing things in our lives. If we want God to do amazing things, we need to raise our expectations of God in our lives. If we really believe that God can do the impossible... We need to expect Him to do the impossible. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, it says this. 
When I close up the sky so that it doesn't rain or command locusts to devour the land's vegetation or send a plague among my people. If my people who belong to me humble themselves, pray, seek me, and repudiate their sinful practices, then I will respond from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Verse 13 kind of feels like it's describing our world right now. Things are not right. But verse 14 is coming. Right now, we're living in verse 13. But if we raise our expectations of God, verse 14 will happen. God said, if my people who belong to me. There is so much security in that. If we belong to God, we are God's people. Think about what you would do for your people. If if your people need help, do you help them? If your family needs help, do you help them? If your friends need help, do you help them? There's nothing I wouldn't do for my family. If my family needs me, I'm going to be there. If my friends need me, I'm going to be there. Because they're my people. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It takes a lot to ask God for help sometimes. I mean, we want to do so much on our own. Here in America, we pride, well, we at least used to pride ourselves in not, not letting somebody else provide for us and working hard and earning whatever we get. But it's, it's hard to stop trying to fix everything yourself. If I see a problem, I want to fix it. It's just the first thing my mind goes to. And I look out across this room and I see a bunch of people who think the same way. We don't like things to be broken. And we want to try to fix it ourselves. But God says we need to humble ourselves. So that He can fix it. He says, if my people who belong to me humble themselves. And then he tells us exactly how to do it. We've got to pray. We've got to seek to please God. And we've got to repudiate our sinful practices. 
Not too long ago, I had to look up this word because I had no idea what repudiate meant. Uh, But now it's one of my favorite words. It's funny how that happens. You have to look up a word and then it ends up being one of your funny one of your favorite words and you try to use it as much as possible. Uh partially to sound smart. But I just I love I love that word. It's just it kind of rolls off the tongue kind of funny. Repudiate. But I couldn't think of a better word to use right here. This word gets it exactly what the Hebrew text says. If you repudiate sin, you refuse to accept the sin and you refuse to be associated with it. We've got to set our sin down. And if we're going to repudiate ourselves from that sin, we've got to leave it over here and have nothing to do with it ever again. I refuse to accept my sin as normal. It's not okay with me anymore. I'm done with that. And I will not associate myself with that ever again. We're going through a lot of this in my house right now. Josiah wants to repudiate himself from everything baby. He's three years old. He's a lot of fun. They say he's a lot like me when I was his age. And I feel like I need to call my parents and apologize to them every day. Because Josiah is all over the place. If I give him a... If I really want to watch a certain movie or eat a certain snack, then... I give him two choices and I say, hey, why don't you take this apple and I'll take this orange? And if I say that, then I actually want the apple because he's going to say, no, I'll take the orange. He always swaps everything. He wants to do things his own way. He's, he's tired of all things baby. He wants to do things all by himself. He wants to just leave the baby over here, leave his babiness over here, and come over here and be a big boy. We've got to be like that with our sin. We've got to set our sin down, lock it up, kick it into the the lake. I don't care. We've got to get rid of it and refuse to accept it as normal in our lives anymore. It's not okay with us anymore. I will leave my sin over here and I will refuse to be associated with it ever again. And after we successfully do that, then we can pick another one and start working on that one too. Because that's just part of being human. Satan's going to tempt us. We are still made in God's image and Satan hates that. We are still God's people and Satan hates that. In case you haven't heard it lately, Satan hates you. He doesn't like anything about you. When he looks at you, he sees God and he hates God. 
That's why chaos happens in this world. Satan wants to destroy you and hurt God in the process. But when God looks at you, he sees his people. When God sees you, he sees that child that he carefully crafted. And as he, I like to think that when God was putting us together, he was thinking about all the things that he was going to accomplish in our lives. He was thinking about all the big plans he had for us. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, it says that God, God tells Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for prosperity, not calamity. God has big, good plans for you. God wants to do great things in your life. If you want that to happen, then you've got to humble yourself. You've got to repudiate your sin. You've got to pray and you've got to seek to please God. If we want God to do amazing, if we want to see God do amazing things, we need to raise our expectations of Him. And we've also got to raise our expectations of ourselves. We've got to see ourselves the way that God sees us. When we look at ourselves, we tend to see our weaknesses. I'm not good enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not smart enough. When God looks at us, He sees His people. He sees that person that he, he, who He created a specific height, a specific way. He sees the strengths that He has given you to impact your world. We've got to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. God created you in His image for a purpose. It wasn't random. There's a reason why you're sitting in First Baptist Crockett today. There's a reason why you are here. There's a reason why you live in the community that you live. There's a reason why you work where you work. God has a plan. A plan for you to prosper. God wants to do the amazing, the incredible the impossible in your life. Things may seem like heaven is shut up right now and that, that there's no rain. Locusts have devoured the, the ground. But God's not done. If God was done with you, you wouldn't be here right now. God is still at work. You know, I hate that, that my grandmother spent the night in the emergency room last night. 
it was hard watching her labor to breathe yesterday. But she, every time she goes to the hospital, I hear a story that inspires me. My dad came back to the house this morning. And he said, my grandmother was just being a, a light in that emergency room. They stuck her with a needle and she said, oh, I'm sorry I jumped. She said, I'm sorry I have to ask you to adjust my mask again. She sits there in the hospital. She prays for her nurses. She prays for the doctors. Even in that that frustrating, often scary situation, she's seeing God's goodness. And she's looking for opportunities to be a light in this dark world. She has raised the expectations of God in her life. And she has raised the expectations of herself. As we go into 2021, we're just a few days into it right now. Let's raise our expectations of God for this year. Let's stop hoping for things and start expecting them. Let's stop trying to stop sinning. And let's just set it aside and repudiate ourselves from it. Let's stop trying and just do it. Let's expect great things from ourselves because God expects great things from us. Let's expect to see God's goodness every single day of this year. It's out there. When God created the world, He created everything good. We get to experience God's good simply by living in His creation. When you walk outside, you get to see a tree that God created good. You get to hear birds that God created good. You get to look and see other people who God created in His image And he did that good. God is still at work. We are three feet from gold, just like the Darbys. They could have been the richest men on the planet. But they stopped. Please, please don't stop. God has big plans for you. And He's expecting great things from you. Expect that of yourself. As we go into the time for communion and response, you may have to pray that prayer that the the Father prayed in the story that we read. God, I believe. 
Help my unbelief. If you've been around church very long, you know what God can do. But do you believe it? God has big plans for this year for you. Let's pray. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.